Welcome to the Faith and Money podcast. I am Keith Conley, and my famous co-host is Crystal Wampler. Faith and Money is a podcast where we discuss the relationship of money, wealth, and generosity with the scriptures. The goal of the podcast is to equip believers in Jesus Christ to honor the Lord with their wealth, and we will explore topics like the true meaning of wealth and its biblical uses. I'm really looking forward to episodes here in 2023 because we're going to be introducing you to excellent people that Crystal and I meet within the Christian community who are experts in their field. We will have attorneys, family genealogists, ministers, business owners, theologians, and folks with business startups, just to give you a foretaste of what's to come. We really want our listeners to be equipped to have confidence that they can honor the Lord with their wealth, with the richness of content that we will bring you. So, Crystal, are you a New Year re- New Year resolutions person? You know, Keith, actually, I am not a New Year's resolution person. I, I believe our days are numbered and that you should live every day like it's a New Year's resolution. Fair enough. Well, you know, my New Year's resolution is to remember not to take sleeping pills and laxatives at the same time. <laughs> so... So today is a first on the Faith and Money podcast. We are excited to announce that we have a guest here on the podcast. Crystal, go ahead and introduce our illustrious guest today. Thank you, Keith. We are joined today by Dr. Jacob Daniel, who is a Christian apologist. He is the founder of Heritage Council, a project dedicated to advance the transforming truth of Christian faith and promote its excellence in public life. He received his pre-doctoral degree in India and did advanced studies in international development at the University of Man- Manchester, UK. It was during this time he heard God's call for ministry in evangelism and teaching. Subsequently, he went to the University of Oxford to study theology. Jacob has a PhD in intercultural studies from Biola University. His specific interest is in preparing the hearts and minds of believers to reinforce a robust biblical framework in in culture by addressing its various challenges through proper cultural exegesis and strategic engagement. Jacob is married to Prita and they call Los Angeles their home. So Jacob, are you recovered from the holidays? I hope so. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I've been, I mean, it's one of the favorite seasons of my life. Uh, I, I, as I see it, it's just, I really enjoy this time of the year and um, had a wonderful time with friends and family. So yeah, it's been refreshing, if I may say. You know, Jake, I'm really just so glad to have you here today. Uh, you and I have struck up a, a great friendship, and I'm just looking forward to seeing more of the work that you're going to be doing. So, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, humanity and uh, wealth. Uh, and, you know, society today, and we've discussed this, you know, personally, you and I all quite a, a, a bit. You know, society today is under, is struggling with the understanding of what it means to be a human, We've run into all kinds of problems with identity, roles of men and women, and sex. And fundamental fundamental to being a human is the doctrine of the Imago Dei or, or the image of God. Uh, and so, 
was wondering, you know, if you wanted to address, you know, what exactly is the Imago Dei or the image of God and and what role does that play in creating our wealth? Thank you. Yeah. First of all, let me say what an honor to be here on, on your podcast and to uh, be with you, Keith and Crystal. Um, yeah, this this topic of wealth, uh, that, that's what your podcast is about. And I think it connects very well with our understanding of uh, who we are uh, as individuals. Uh, and what is our role in terms of the, the, the reality we experience daily? Now, um, let me say this. Our understanding is greatly impacted by our understanding of cosmology uh, and how we m- should actually interact with the creation that God has created. Um, and our, ultimately, our view of the wealth comes down to our own understanding of God's purpose and intention uh, for his people here on earth. And unless and until we understand that, I don't think we'll be able to really understand who we are and what is the purpose for our own life with regards to uh, our relationships, with regards to our engagement with the world. Um, To understand man, we need to really understand the cosmology that the scripture provides. And it provides a very distinct view of cosmology or the origin of uh, the universe. Um, One of the major distinctions is between the creator and the creation. Um, You know, and this distinction basically explains why creation does not have any value because of some accident. Rather, it has derived value, which is bestowed on it by its creator. And it is this value that we are called to basically recognize and discover and really amplify as well. And that's what wealth is about. It's about our participation in the creation itself. Now, we do that in a way that we have a certain um, framework within which we work. And within the Christian doctrine, we call it being made in the image of God, the whole idea of Imago Dei. Now, what does that mean? There there are different ways in understanding it. One of the ways would be the functional understanding of the image of God. Uh, How do we function in this world? Uh, And one of the key things that defines us in relation to other beings is that we are creative beings. We are created uh, to engage with the world in a creative manner. Now, let me say this, that um, the cosmological understanding of who we are informs the economics in which, with regards to uh, uh, engaging with with, with the material world around us. So this creator-creation distinction is vital. It is this that enables us to really, from a Christian worldview, understand why we need to be, in one sense, world-affirming and be engaging in the formative aspect of the world that God has created. Uh, And coming from the Eastern world, I, I would say that this idea is so important and necessary for us to maintain, to create a flourishing society, is because it gives us a certain kind of view about the world that we live in, certain view with regards to time, certain certain view with regards to work. So with regard to time, if we see the Western world, if we see compared to other uh, civilizations and other nations, has been more progressive and had been more uh, flourishing all because of its attitude towards time. You know, right. if God has created, if God has created everything and God is distinct from the creation, uh, then the time is linear. It's not cyclical. So you wouldn't be taking life to be uh, fatalistic. You'll be seeing it more in terms of having some sort of telos or some sort of end 
to it. Now, the question is, whose end are we basically pursuing? Our own or God's who created all things? And the other thing that I'm seeing is that with regards to understanding the importance of work itself, you know, from, from a Christian perspective, we see that God gave Adam work prior to fall. And therefore, it is a dignifying thing, right? Unless if you, if you look at the Marxist idea of work being indignifying, uh, it, right. it's contrary to that. So, so this idea of being made in the image of God informs our attitude towards the world itself. Um, and as image bearers, uh, created to be, we are created to be creative and to cultivate. That's the cultural mandate being given to us. Um, let me read something by Gerard von Rad, who writes this very interesting thing. Um, he says that, quote, just as powerful earthly kings to indicate their claim and dominion, erect an image of themselves in the provinces of their empire. So man is placed upon earth in God's image as God's sovereign emblem. End of quote. So, yes. so basically being made in the image of God, we are representing God here on earth. Um, you know, fulfilling the mandate that he has given us. And we understand the whole idea of fall as well, but fall does not abrogate God's intention for his creation. And that's something we should be keeping in mind when, when we engage with the whole aspect of wealth. And let me also point to one thing, you know, when we talk about the image of God, uh, we should understand what wealth is, right? Uh, uh, and that's much of your focus with this podcast. Uh, and one of the ways to understand wealth would be to know that wealth should enable true freedom, which is to have power to do what we ought to do. Now, that's very important. Not So, so the way the world understands without God is that wealth enables freedom to do whatever we want to do. But from a Christian perspective, wealth enables true freedom and it gives us power to do what we ought to do right so being made in the image of god uh, then we should be asking this question what is it that we ought to be doing right right and And that's an important question to be asking and what i see is you know when we think about image we're supposed to be like a a little god not that we're god-like but we're to reflect god and and that's what he tells us to do in genesis when he tells us to have dominion over the creation we're acting as god's representative on the earth and so we are required to cultivate we are to create with our hands and we are to act as god's vice regents Exactly. And I think we can do that only uh, if we have an understanding of who this God is, not just any God. So from an Eastern perspective, if you see, what it does is that it it adopts the idea of oneism, that the whole ultimate reality is one. So what it does, it, it leads you to the extremes. One is that you either indulge in the material world to the point that you you use it and abuse it for your own self. Or you take up this whole pietistic approach of running away from the world, right? Because the ultimate, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the reality is seen as cyclical. And if that's the case, it becomes deterministic. So there is no ultimate goal in terms of engaging with the world that is given to us. 
Right. And the, you know, the idea is to be dissolved in this ultimate reality. If that's the case, like in the Eastern world, there's emphasis on uh, leaving aside all your desires. If that's the case, how would you engage with the world and make it better? Not possible. Right. I think of, of what uh, one of my former professors and, and friend Peter Jones from Truth Exchange talks about. You know, he really is very big on making that distinction between, you know, the creator and the creature uh, and also, you know, the one and the many distinction yes. that we talk about in theology. And his point is that the pagan unbiblical worldview just wants to make everything one. Mm-hmm. And whether whether we people who are not of the same faith want to admit it or not, we all know that there is this eschatological end time event that we're heading towards. And the question is, whose end are we looking towards? Our own, where we're going to be deified or where God is going to receive glory and and set, you know, right what went wrong at the garden. Exactly. Uh, and this is why I think um, as Christians, even when we engage with the whole idea of wealth, we should be understanding the importance of the idea of revelation. You know, if we don't have revelation, which is God's law, we won't have the sound ecology that is necessary for us to prosper in the world that he has created. Right. That's why we, we should be focusing on not just, so it comes down to this, you know, uh, are we in some sense with regards to wealth, understanding the whole idea of theonomy, which is basically, which means the idea of God's law or autonomy, my mm-hmm. own laws. Uh, so the distinction between creator and creation basically leads us to either of those paths. Either you would go with God's law, which is revealed to us, Right. It's through revelation, or we would go the way of the creation, which would be more towards, uh, uh, you know, autonomy. Then it comes down to my own needs, my own skills, my own talents, whatever I I want to achieve and create my own destiny. So I think as Christians, it is important for us to be understanding that um, we have to focus on the destiny that God has for the creation. And you talk about the whole eschatological, you know, end. And that comes down to only to the fact that we focus on God's revelation. That has to be brought brought back into our engagement with this issue of wealth as well. Right. And so, you know, with this understanding of what it means to be man or humanity, uh, the family seems to have been obliterated in society today. Uh, I think of, of Michael Foucault, who was a French queer philosopher who wrote quite forcefully about getting rid of heteronormativity, meaning that we have to destroy the notion uh, that a husband-wife relationship is normal. Um, it really obliterates the need, you know, for mother-father, husband-wife. It just, you know, what the world has always, how the world has always operated. So to get uh to replace it with these other, you know, pagan worldviews of, of what it means to be a family. So kind of following along those same lines, can you explain what the demography destiny is and why it is important in this discussion? Um, yeah. Uh, so, so economists talk about dem- uh, demographic destiny. Basically, the idea is that um, you have to have certain population in terms of sustaining the economics um, of the place where you are. So, for example, if we see, the, if, you, if you've been listening to some of the economists and they've been 
pointing out to this red flag that they are seeing with regards to nations, including China and India, and even much of the European nations, that we, are, we don't have enough children to basically sustain right, the economy. Uh, like, for example, in China, because of their one-child policy, there is such a distance between uh, children who are below the age of 12 and those who are above the age of 60. So there is no no one in between, and that's creating economic uh, turmoil in that nation. Uh, yes. but, but to connect that with the cultural mandate, if we need to understand, like, there was a reason why God said multiply and have dominion over the world. And that was through the means of the unit of family. Now, why is that important? And we need to understand the first family itself was a nuclear family. The idea was for family to be concentrating on the very unit And the important thing with that is that because family is the primary unit of authority, right? That's where um, children are taught of the heritage or the heritage is being passed on to them. Um, They have been taught, uh, we were talking about the whole idea of we need to be knowing what ought to be done, right? Wealth should give us the power to do what ought to be done. And how do we know what ought to be done? It is always passed on to us. Right, we inherit that idea of oughtness. So, if you don't have families, if you're not having children, you wouldn't be able to do that. And what ultimately would happen is that you have to depend on an external um, uh, framework. For example, there is a saying that people usually say, and I think it, it is wrong basically when it says that it takes up a village to raise up a child. No, it takes up parents to build up child. The village would just come around to support, but it's not their responsibility to take care of their children. It is a family unit which is necessary uh, to raise up a a, a generation with the teaching that they have adopted in their life and have flourished through. So here is where I, I would point also to the idea of heritage. Now, from a Christian worldview, we need to be understanding that. We, heritage is not something that we create. It is something that we inherit because we understand the whole idea of the kingdom of God. The idea that the whole universe over which he is Lord, he is the king. So we are subject to his laws and his intentions for the creation. And that is all, that is what we inherit. And that has to be passed on to future generations as well. So with the cultural chaos that we are seeing around us and confusion that we are seeing, what is happening is basically we are um, abolishing God's idea of what this family should look like and how it should flourish. And in so doing, we are dividing the family itself. And sadly to say that we are not seeing much of the resistance. Um, There are only pockets here and there where we're seeing some kind of resistance in terms of maintaining and fighting for that unit of family. But, Generally, we see that it is disintegrating. And in so doing, we are losing the heritage itself, the Christian right. heritage. And in so doing, we are ad- adopting autonomy. And it comes down to the whole idea of relativistic view of reality. And imagine a world where uh, you bring in your own personal preferences and put that over a law that should be a standard for a nation. Once we, If we don't have that, it will only make us to actually be getting on the path of getting degraded rather than being flourishing. 
So that's why family is so important and necessary. And not just that family, but also to have children, you know, uh, to, to latch onto this idea of God's uh, mandate that we are to procreate, we are to actually uh, multiply, not just in terms of uh, without passing on to the heritage that God has given us, but also with, with regards to uh, taking that responsibility of a family of parents and passing on God's law, God's mandate to future generation. And ultimately, right. we, we've seen civilizations like here, here in the Western world, that's been done in the past, and how the Western world has flourished because of that. Right. And the Old Testament is, you know, very marketably pro-family, and they emphasize that it is the parents' responsibility to train their children in the way that they should go. Yes. They, they're to teach the law. They're to teach the gospel to their children. Now, there's the, there's the church, you know, and that's part of the puzzle. But, you know, often today what happens is that the, the religious teaching, the biblical teaching falls to a youth pastor or, or to a Sunday school class. Uh, and, and we do the same thing with education. You know, we send our kids to public school or maybe even to the Christian school, and it's never discussed at home. And, you know, my family, we homeschool. So, and I'm not saying that everyone has to homeschool, mm-hmm. but, you know, we are the primary, as parents, we are the primary people responsible for making sure that our children are prepared to live in the world with a biblical worldview. We can use other resources. There's going to be other people that have skills that we don't. But ultimately, when it comes to our children's worldview, grounded upon the truth of Jesus Christ and his heritage and his foundation, how we view wealth, how we view truth, it has to come first from the parents. Exactly. And I think in our uh, culture today, especially, we have capitulated to the uh, to the demands of the culture, all because of this fact that we have relegated our responsibility to institutions and individuals, right? Uh, I completely believe in the idea of sphere sovereignty. There's a family, there's church, and there is, you know, civil government, and each has its own jurisdiction that's been given to it. Though it, each may inform each other, but having said that, they may not interfere uh, and in, but but we've seen that the state has done that in regards mm-hmm. to education, with yes. regards to health. You know, the fr- primary role of the family is to be providing those means to its constituents, its children. You know, uh, the parents' yeah. responsibility is to ed- educate their children yeah. and to take and, care of and to provide for them. Uh, but if that's capitulated, then we have to understand that then we have to live by su- some other rule other than the one that God has given us. Yeah. When you talk about sphere sovereignty, I have to laugh because, you know, that sphere sovereignty idea comes from um, one of my favorite theologians who's absolutely changed my life, Abraham Kuyper. Uh, and, you know, it's too bad we're not doing a video cast today because my dog Kuyper is sitting on my couch here in my office. Um, you know, and, and you know, the thing about the seer sovereignty is that, you know, Christ has two kingdoms. He has the kingdom of his right hand and the kingdom of his left hand. Both are, are good kingdoms, and he's the king of both of them. But one is eternal, and he rules that with grace and with, with love and mercy. And the other kingdom is the kingdom, uh, the temporal kingdom, and he judges that with justice 
and righteousness. Well, he does with both, with justice and righteousness, but he's going, it's a temporal kingdom. It's going to be judged. Um, and the state, which is that temporal kingdom, uh, has no dominion over the eternal kingdom. And what we have seen, you know, get a little bit off track here, is that during the pandemic, we had the government telling churches how they had to worship, and they don't have that, they don't have that uh, authority to tell the church that they can and can't meet, that they can and can't, or shouldn't uh, have the Lord's Supper, or whether they should sing or pray. Uh, you know, these are things where the Lord Jesus tells us what to do, not not a president, not a governor, not the police. Uh, and, you know, we're bound to the authority of God at that point. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, there's, you know, it's not that those two things are, are to be lived in opposition to one another, but they have to stay in their own sphere. Exactly. And that would happen only if the Caesar understands that his authority is from God. If Caesar doesn't understand that, then he himself becomes the authority and the law. Um, yeah. So, so uh, that's very important, you know, for us to understand that uh, the church deals with the, the question of sin, and it deals with sin, and state deals with crime. Every sin, you know, we don't want the state to come and actually penalize people for lusting, for example. Church right. deals with those issues. Whereas state deals with the question uh, with, with, with the issues of crime, but we need to be understanding that every crime is a sin, and if that's the case, church does have a responsibility as well to actually inform what sin is to the civil magistrates as well. Uh, having said that, as you said, we have to remain within our ju own jurisdictions as well, and when that happens, and we have seen especially in the Western world, when we maintain that jurisdictional differences between these different uh, spheres of governance, the society flourishes because everyone takes their own responsibility and fulfills the duty that is given to them. If the church takes up the sword of the word and does its work, the church flourishes. If the state takes up the sword of justice and does its work under the will of God as deacons of God, that's what we read in Romans 13, right? Um, the society flourishes. That's why we should be actually maintaining that difference between the spheres, but at the same time, empower those spheres through the word of God. Yeah. So the Bible talks very clearly about the goodness of having a heritage and leaving that to our children and our grandchildren. You know, Proverbs 13 talks about, you know, it is good for grandparents to leave a legacy to their children's children and the wealth of the wicked will belong to the righteous, mm -hmm. for example. Uh, you know, what role does a spiritual and uh, financial legacy have in the growth of the kingdom of God and, and, the, and the furthering of, of the mission of the kingdom of God? I think it's very important. We need to understand, and we do not often talk about it. Maybe during mission weeks and all, we talk about it. But think about it. Um, much of the mission around the world is sustained financially by businesses, uh, not just by only individuals, right? So there is a transfer of wealth for the sake of the kingdom, work of the kingdom that does happen. And thankfully, even today, I would say America is one of the most uh, financially supporting uh, nations 
around the world in terms of evangelism. And one of the examples I give is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 to 15, the whole episode of Jesus being resurrected and soldiers not finding his body, right, um, uh, in the tomb. So they, they go and talk to uh, the, the the gods, basically go and talk to uh, the Pharisees. And what, what the Pharisees tell them, or the chief priest tell them is that to basically... Uh, you know, so this is what it said. Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while he we were asleep. So they gave them money basically to spread the lie, right? Uh, so so there is there is an aspect of using money for the right reason to spread the truth, and that needs to be done. And we need to understand that uh, we can only do that also from this perspective. And this is something very important that as Christians we need to understand. Uh, when the scripture says that we can't serve two masters, God and money, what it is saying is that you can only have one master. Choose whether it's going to be God or is it going to be money. But at the same time, it's also pointing to a fact that when God is our master, we are master of the money. And as Christians, we have to take that up and use that uh, the resources that God has given us gift to us for the sake of his kingdom. And it's not merely for the preaching of the gospel, which is very much needed and necessary. The proclamation is necessary. But also we need to understand that God is interesting, interested in redeeming all things unto himself. If that's the case, as Christians, we should step in and also look at uh, a broader, uh, the kingdom of God or the, the, the task of evangelism from a broader scale. What we should be doing is that we, we should be investing in our young people, in developing their skills, in teaching them, in training them. We should be engaging in all spheres of life, not keeping ourselves away from it. And in so doing, we should be using the resources God has given us faithfully for the sake of the kingdom. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, worldviews and, and, and even within the Christian world on those things. You know, a lot of times people talk about, um, you know, redeeming work or redeeming this or that. Um, and I think we really have to be very careful when we talk about redeeming certain things because Jesus didn't die to redeem culture. He didn't, he died for sinners and to forgive their sins. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned theonomy a little bit earlier in our talk. Um, and, and I, I'm, while I, I do believe that God's law is applicable for today, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with this post-millennial idea of a transformational uh, world um, where the Christian, you know, government, the world will be replaced by a Christian government. I just don't see that in scripture. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the kingdom of this world will not be, if you're seeing this kingdom of this world or, or, or nations, as the kingdom of God, that would be a grave mistake. That's not right. what we are after. We are after the kingdom of God as to how it's permeating all spheres of life. And it does something. And that's what we should be aiming at. So it, it's very important and necessary that we have the ecology that God has chosen in terms of in our generation to be able to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And to do that, we have to be involved with our finances as well, not just only in terms of like uh, being engaging at a personal level. 
Uh, And you mentioned about the whole idea of heritage, and it's so important. We need to be understanding there's a heritage that we are passing on to our children, and it's not a heritage that we are creating, but the one that we have been passed on to, you know, ultimately by God. And that's what we should be keeping in mind. And this is a heritage that cannot be taken away from us. So in Matthew chapter 6, we read in uh, verses 19 onwards, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Right? That's a good reminder for us. Now, remember this. No one can, I mean, the, people can steal from us if we believe that we own things. But as Christians, if we understand that, no, we do not own anything. God owns all things and no one can dare to steal from God. That's an impossible thing. If we have that confidence and, you know, if we maintain that, we can pass it on to our future generation as well. And they can have that confidence of inheriting a Christian heritage, uh, which stands on its own, which is powerful on its own. And we have to have that confidence in this world where we live. And there's trials and tribulations and trouble. And we are, God is calling us and sending us into this world with the message of, of the truth. We can only do that with the confidence that God gives us. And if we realize that it comes from God, all things belong to God and it's unto him. This is why we had you on here. I, I, I want to affirm a hearty amen to that, Dr. Daniel. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been a joy. Jacob, can you tell us um, about the Heritage Council and how to support your work financially? So, uh, as you mentioned initially, uh, the Heritage Council, it's it's a missions project. We are under missions organization called Missionary Gospel Fellowship. Um, The the goal is, again, to advance the truth of Christian faith and promote its excellence in public life. So keeping a good balance of um, the message of the gospel and how does that inform our public life as well. Um, and so we've been doing that since 2019, officially through the missions organization. Um, so if anyone is interested to learn more about it and to be able to support, I would invite them to visit our website, heritagecouncil.org, council as in counseling, heritagecouncil.org, or uh, you can also go to mgfhq.org uh, and look for us under the missionary portal and you'll find us there. We'll be grateful if you come alongside us and be part of what God is doing. Um, and it's amazing. What a privilege it is. Yeah. Dr. Dan, you, you are a gift to me in your friendship. You are a gift to the church. And and uh, I just know for a fact that we have to have you back on the podcast to talk about some of these things. Again, it's just been a real blessing. And and we thank you. And, and we invite our listeners, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe Uh, and share the podcast with your friends, with your enemies, with whoever would want to listen. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.